Hello and welcome to The Rolling Mall, the Lesser Tigers fans podcast, which is uh, just about recovered now after a long old pub crawl that actually only stayed in one pub, which actually makes it worse before we ended up watching the Clermont game at home. Uh, just about recovered now, aren't we, Elliot? Yeah, I mean, at our age, we should probably have worked out that we can't drink as much as we uh, probably used to think we can. Uh, so both of us felt fairly delicate on uh, Sunday morning. But of course, what time did you get up? Later than you, because I don't yeah. have kids. No, I had to get up at seven and try and make my son breakfast. I'm not going to lie, it was the most half-assed attempt at breakfast. I just chucked a couple of wheat bits in the bowl, mashed it up with some milk and some banana. Done. There was no eggy bread or anything even remotely exotic like that, I'm afraid. But for those of you who weren't there, you missed out. We had a lovely time at the pub. We were supposed to meet at the Globe. Elliot was let down by the train, so I was there at two. John Kaczynski came along, had a good few drinks, and also thanks to the other John, Adrian, Sam, and James as well, who also joined us for a fair few pints. We were going to do a pub crawl. We ended up just staying in the Globe, having a few beers. And that meant that when Elliot showed up, you were on catch-up mode, weren't you? Yes, which was dangerous for both of us because you then started drinking with me. I started drinking with you and you would drink it. My God, you're half the size of me, but you don't have to put them away twice as quick as I do. So I was absolutely terrified trying to keep up with you. And let me say, I had a very nice family weekend planned with my grandmother who was up from Kent was there and so was my aunt and uncle. It was a really rare occasion. And I got a Jalfrezi that evening and I sat down. Firstly, it was the world's hottest Jalfrezi I've ever had. My God, tell you what, ring of fire the next day, dreadful. But... I was told by my uncle the following day, he goes, you were on form last night, a bit loud. You didn't have a filter and you really, really should have had a filter with your grandma. (laughs) Apparently I was hitting all the lewd stories, getting on all the edgy jokes and everything like that. So that didn't go down particularly well. And that's all your fault, frankly. Well, guilty as charged. In in, in all fairness, uh, my evening was uh, not quite as eventful purely because I uh, got off the train, had a couple more beers, then stopped off in the Kapab house on the way home. Had a chat with coppers, uh, all perfectly legal. David was picking up a pizza. I was getting my kebab. It was all good fun. I then got home, f- frankly, then forgot about the kebab and passed out on the sofa. So I was not causing any trouble because I was asleep. What so, a waste of a perfectly good kebab. Well, I say perfectly good. I don't know what it's like. Well, it was, well, fine, the next, it was fine the next day. <laughs> oh, my God, that's disgusting. <laughs> no, you can't eat Bang it in the microwave. Bang it in the microwave and away you go. Absolutely not. Well, neither big nor clever from either of us, but a lot of fun has to be said. Thanks to everyone who came along and had a beer with us. We had really good fun getting to know everyone and ended up being a bit of an impromptu fans forum, wasn't it? Um, Which was quite good. Talking about all sorts of things, tactical and future of the club and everything like that. It was was very, got very deep very quickly. Yeah, we, we put the world to rights. Yeah, good. Well, as always, uh, we've got loads to get through today. We're going to nose through the Clermont game and we're delighted to say we're going to be joined by Chris Edgerton and Adam Whitty of Radio Leicester to lend their expertise as we nose our way through that game and talk about, in particular, the Freddie Stewart try, or as it's really known, the Harry Potter try. I think he beat Racker twice in the same run. So we're going to nose our way all over that. We've also got the Harlequins game away at the stoop to look forward to. If we win that, we get a home semi-final, so the big games just keep on coming, and we're also going to be looking to announce the fly half in Elliot's imports. As always, thank you to everyone who has got in touch and everyone who has rated us. If you haven't rated us yet, please do so. Uh, we've also got to say thank you very much to our new sponsors. You heard them last week. You heard Ollie Ryan come on. Uh, we're now joined by St Martin's Coffee Roasters, who are helping look after the podcast. Thanks, guys. St Martin's Coffee Roasters are a small team of coffee professionals, proudly born and bred in Leicester. 
family owned and operated, they've been dedicated to perfecting the art of coffee roasting for the past 10 years, solely focused on sourcing, roasting and supplying some of the world's best specialty coffee to their customers across Leicestershire and the UK. Passionate Tigers fans, the Martins have long-standing connections with the club and are proud to help energise and caffeinate the players and the staff in their efforts on and off the pitch. In an effort to help the fans wake up to match days, St. Martin's Coffee Roasters are offering 20% off all coffee when listeners use the code ROLLINGMALL on their website. Visit stmartinscoffee.co.uk to stock up on locally roasted specialty coffee and use the code ROLLINGMALL to save 20% off your next purchase. Thanks very much, guys. And again, if you want to get in touch, please send us an email at therollingmallatoutlet.com or tweet us on Twitter with the handle at rollingmallpod. Okay, then, on with the podcast. We're going to jump into the news section, but we need the big dogs for this, and that's why we're very happy to say, back with us again, it's the Radio Leicester duo. The budget cuts have become so severe, they've had us on the Radio Leicester rugby (laughs) show uh, a couple of cases. We've got Chris Edgerton and Adam Whitty. Chris, hello. Hi, Dan. You're under the false assumption that there actually is a budget. (laughs) 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 It's cuts, but I appreciate the thought, boys. Thank you. And we've got Adam as well. Hello, what a pleasure to be back on. Thank you very much. Oh, absolutely brilliant. The differences in professionalism. You've got Adam mic'd up, uh, eating a very healthy dinner. <laughs> Chris has just cracked open a beer whilst finishing his ironing. So, oh, go shit. Very good. Cheers, Chris. Fantastic to have you both on. How was it um, commentating and, and being there for the game on Saturday? Must have been a, a good experience. Felt like the home crowd felt energised. Felt like the old Welford Road again to me. Yeah, well, they hadn't had they hadn't had a day like that in a long time, had they? They hadn't had a big European night um, or evening for for quite some time. I think the tea, the the, uh, the kickoff time helped. People have been able to have a few before they headed over. I thought it was a great occasion, actually. Um, it was a bit of a shame that Claremont weren't quite the uh, the mega team that they have been in the past and still are. I think that's a bit of a shame because it it just slightly dampened the uh, slightly dampened the occasion a little bit as did the 19 point advantage even still though I thought the atmosphere was uh, was great the oohs and the ahs were were really loud the crowd were really getting behind their team I think they just fancied a really night a good, good night out I, I thought it was it wasn't the best quality game, but there was so much intrigue in it. Um, and there was a lot to sort of dissect and go over to the point where I thought it was a, a, a certainly very enjoyable afternoon. Yeah, I'd go along with that. I think I think that my thought was that it was a particularly insane game. Uh, it was a, it was very, very random indeed. I think the biggest factor in making it so insane was that deficit. And I left there thinking... Actually, you know, if Claremont had turned up like at the start of the first leg, as they did the second leg, well, I don't know that Leicester mm. would have actually won at all, uh, let alone come on with such a handsome victory. So it, it was very it was very disconcerting for, for Claremont fans, I would imagine, particularly since that felt like the end of an era for Claremont. That's the, the broadly the core of the side that yeah. took them to at least two finals, your Paris your Lopez's, they're going at the end of the season and you've already seen the, the vast bulk of that side leave or retire from from rugby. So uh, it's a great shame, particularly since 
Clermont have always been traditionally one of France's biggest fans of the, uh, of the Champions Cup. So the best uh, team, never it's, a blessed, in it's a blessed advantage, isn't it, Mike? So, uh, so exactly. Uh, I always think this about Clermont. They always went through that year where it was almost a Tottenham Hotspur joke with them. Mm. They always get so close and then not quite win it, and they were always up there as being one of the best. So. Uh, I don't know. We'll get on to the game very shortly, but this is the news section, and I'm very regimented about keeping the match review and the re- review section. So we're going to talk news. And Elliot, you've been opening up your Nando's hot sauce, which for Chris and Adam, that's how we rate transfer rumours, which is on the Nando's spicy sauce rating. It's fairly foolproof. And the Anthony Watson to Tigers from Bathroomer appears to be gathering some pace. You think that it's it's pretty on, don't you? Yeah, the, the sort of chat I got told was that it, it looks like be a, uh, a signing that Leicester are interested in. What's been reported on in the media is um, is actually the case. So um, I think we can uh, want to uh, to bust out the Nando sauce for. So um, but yeah, it, it's it's an exciting rumor. If nothing else, even if it doesn't happen, it's nice to be uh, rumored with linked with players that we actually know of and are actually top quality, rather than uh, three or four years ago when we've been uh, linked with pub players that. You have to do Google searches to know what they uh, even look like. Oh, we're still having to do the Google searches, but it's all Moneyball now, and they end up being absolute <laughs> diamonds, don't they? Like think Guy Porter, Harry Potter, Adam. What I was, do you well, think about that? I, well, I was just going to say that I asked Steve Borthwick about this today. It was the oh. press conference. Thanks, thanks very much to Tigers for doing it on a bank holiday Monday. Oh, um, nice. And and I asked him about Anthony Watson. He did not deny it. I think is the journalistic phrase to use. Um, he normally does deny it, or he would normally make um, some sort of comment or or intonation that this was not something that we should be bothered about. But he said, I'm paraphrasing him slightly, but I said, uh, he said, I think you've heard me give this answer a few times, Adam. Um, When we have an announcement to make, we will make it. Oh, that's Steve's way of saying it's a done deal, basically. I, 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 I wouldn't quite want to go that far, but I think you're you're but very we will. Uh, you're, it's fine. <laughs> yes, yes. I, I think I think you're pretty much on the money there. That that was a that in my personal view is a Steve Borthwick. I'm not telling you, but you're not wrong. So, Chris, I mean, my view on this, and we've talked about it before, so I'm not going to go too much into the Anthony Watson pros and cons. Was that he obviously is an insanely good player, electric you know, get bums off seats kind of player and he'll get bums on seats in terms of getting crowds in because he is has got the X factor, internationally experienced. He comes with a chequered injury record though and he's not going to be on a small amount of coin. My view was that, and I am sure that the club has done this, A, it's got to be due diligence on his fitness and B, it's going to have to be on a bit of a cut for what he was on at Bath. What, what, what do you think? A, I think there's another angle to this as well though, Mike. Um, Bear in mind, he is top quality, as you say. In terms of the squad, I don't think he's necessarily a replacement for, say, Van Bake or even competitor for Stewart at 15. I think he's a replacement, essentially, for Chris Ashton. And I think that's how they should look at him. Now, that gives me concern only in one respect, because when they do get back to fitness, and with all the talk about set up at um, Farley Hungerford and trust me I've been it's amazing um, but not as a training ground um, it's you do wonder about the preparation there without casting any aspersions about the, the, the fine professionals that are up there are there I've not been sarcastic either um, my thought would be when they get fit again do you really want Stuart and Watson going away with England at the same time because he will and 
that would be the only thought in the back of my mind that they'd have to manage. Having said that, with Ashton arriving, you now have two players per position who you would not have a problem with throwing into a Premiership final the following week. So I see how it goes. That It will be something that they will be well aware of, to be fair. Um, and when was the last game he played? It was a little while ago, wasn't it? Mm, it was probably, I think, before Christmas. It was ACL. Yeah. I think that yeah. it will be a little while for him to come back. I'll be interested to see how quickly he gets that explosivity back and how quickly he gets his confidence back. I was a terrible sidestepper. I tended to go straight through people, but it took me a long time to get any confidence back in my step, which, to be fair, the only confidence I had in it before was misplaced confidence uh, in the first place. But let, let's go... Just one thought, though. Just one quick thought for Harry Potter. Mm. Because, I mean, he was very clearly the number one choice in the 14th shirt. Now he's got Ashton to deal with. Um, he's probably going to have Anthony Watson to deal with for selection as well. I mean, goodness me, he's, he's never going to have a quiet life at Leicester, is he? I don't think that's what Steve wants to put out there, the quiet life, Elliot. I think <laughs> I think he doesn't want anyone getting too comfortable, does he? No, yeah. and, to be, and to be fair to, to to Harry, he played all right in the 11 shirt on, um, on yes. Saturday for the first time he appeared on the left wing. Um, it's intriguing to see how we how we go about it. I mean, obviously, we've still got question marks over whether Naman is going to be here next season. There's a few whispers and rumours doing rounds about whether he's off uh, for next season as well. So it, it's intriguing to see how the squad settles for next year. But I think what is quite easy to see is that for next season, no matter who it's going to be, there's going to be a fair old amount of depth in the back three positions uh, for next season. It is, And it's, if you think about Guy Porter, is another one that can can cover those positions as well. And maybe if Moroni stays on as well, he's another one that covers the wing. You know, it, it, there's a fair amount of talent um, that's out there. So, no, I think Ashton is a is a good signing uh, for us. Um, it's in, it's exciting to give him a full, full proper pre-season with Alan just to get him, get him back up and firing for next year. And my thought, though, my thought, just very quickly, I'm sorry, my thought is, I, I think if Watson arrives, I'm not sure that Ashton will get another year. But to be fair, as I've said on our podcast in the past, I think if Ashton doesn't want to hang around next season, he wants. To, I, I think he wants to get the record. And if he wins the title with Leicester, then brilliant. I think he'll retire at 35 and he'll be absolutely fine with that because his media commitments are going. He might want one more. If it's the right deal, let's do it. But look at the back three depth. Stewart, uh, who else is a Hegarty, probably 15. Ashton, Stroke Watson, Potter on one wing, Salmaki and one other. I don't think Nandola will go. I don't think we'll stay, sorry. I think he'll go. You're probably looking at one more winger, I would suggest. Uh, the only thing I'd say about Ashton is that the ball is very much in Tiger's court. And I, th- I think Ashton will stay. I think Ashton will want to stay. But I think there is space for Ashton and and a couple of other wingers, quite frankly, because I don't think he needs to be on a lot of money. It's it's tigers, it's ti- it's tigers or bust, isn't it? It's tigers or retirement. If he wants to carry on playing rugby, which in the interview that he did with uh, with Chris at the end of uh, the game of Exeter, that sounds like it's all he wants to do at the moment. Um, then I can see him wanting to stay on. I can see him stay wanting to stay on for not a lot of money as well. <clears throat> I, I I agree with all of that. I actually think tigers could almost hardball him a little bit because I think he just wants to play rugby and I think the actual environment he's got at Tigers probably suits him and I think you know he said it himself that he's been at a few places that didn't quite work for him 
he's come to Tigers and he said he could stay all day. You know, he's already been on the record in his on his different podcast saying that he absolutely loves it being at Leicester and it's his type of play. So I think Tigers could put another low sort of low ball offer out. And he like Adam said, I think he probably would would take it and stay if if you know if he fancied it. Doesn't look out of place, does it? And you no. and from his perspective, look at it from his perspective, he's clearly going to go into the media. Uh, he's already doing the odd bit of work for Channel 4. Uh, he's on uh, the Rugby Union Weekly podcast every so often as well. What's the best time to launch a media career? It's during a World Cup. And 12 months down the line, we'll just be into that summer and that period that gets him into a World Cup. So it probably might work for him for one more year. But yes. to me, to me, I, I take it the other way. I think it's Ashton's call because I think if he wants to go one more year, I, I, as long as the money's right, I, I think Leicester would buy the Randall. Well, yeah, it takes two to tango, doesn't it? I think that if he's getting close to the record and he doesn't quite get it this year, I think he will stick around and probably almost up until he gets it or hits 100. I think he might like the sound of 100 tries in the Premiership as well. <laughs> Either way, let's go and quickly move on to two bits of disciplinary issues. So we've had Guy Porter's ban came through last week. It took a long time. I think it was supposed to be Wednesday evening. We didn't find out about it until Thursday lunchtime. So maybe there was... A lot of toing and throwing and umming and ahhing, but effectively Guy Porter banned for two weeks. He contested, sorry, three weeks. Beg your pardon. He contested the charge. He said that it was a rugby incident, and he therefore he denied that he was recklessly endangering another player with his actions. And although it's three weeks, it's effectively two if he goes on a coaching course, which is fucking bananas. I'll come to that in a minute. But effectively, it means that he's going to miss. He's missed the Clermont game. He'll miss the Harlequins game. I think technically he could even be back if he's done this coaching course. He could be back for the London Irish um, semi-final in the in the Premiership Cup, but I'm, I'm not entirely sure. But either way, he, we shouldn't be missing him for too long. But for me, Adam, that ban was bonkers. Firstly, I mean, I don't quite understand what they're trying to achieve with it. I can understand tackle technique. We'll come to Ollie Chessman in a minute. And he's saying, go on this course to learn how to tackle lower and the importance of it. I don't understand what he's going to learn. You know, is he going to be taught to run everywhere, bent at 90 degrees, and, or don't, never blitz, never look for an intercept. It's, it's bonkers to me. I, I, I agree with you. And I think, and forgive me, the name of the player at Four Breathe, um, who absolutely oh, smashed oh, somebody Moore. up at Saracens, yeah, and, and got um, and got five games. And Axel you think... Moore. Yeah, and you think and you think five games for that and three for Porter. I I believe that was a red card for Porter, but I don't believe, you know, I always think what could have been improved there from Porter in terms of technique. Um, and the only thing that you can learn from that for Porter is to possibly just watch where you're looking a little bit more, to be more careful when reading the play. Um, and you know, I, I think that's the only thing, but it wasn't it wasn't dangerous um, insofar as it wasn't dangerous behaviour. It was just an accident. I still think, as I say, I still think it was a red card, but I think three weeks is far too much for that, considering it wasn't a deliberate act. It wasn't um, a deliberately dangerous act. And so I think there needed to be mitigation, maybe not for the decision itself, but for the punishment. Chris, what do you think about that? I mean, do you think there's still a huge amount of inconsistency at the moment with the disciplinary process? And you've got a guy who's admitted to intentionally trying to decapitate the Saracens player and he gets given only two weeks more than effectively an accidental collision. Uh, well, I must admit at the time, I thought it was a red card for Porter. Um, and it was 
not that it was, but you could you've seen incidents like that where basically they're blocking. Um, I mean, you see that happen an awful lot against Tigers. Um, as for three weeks, effectively two. Um, I, but if you're going to uphold the red card, it's probably about fair enough. I would suggest it's it's annoying, but I think there's a, there's a bit of it's a bit of consistency in that. I would suggest uh, the Muller one is just great. Just I think that's more of a joke, personally. Mm. Um, yeah, I mean, I think that Ashton, of course, in the dim and distant past, has been done for twelve weeks, hasn't he? I think for, was that for a high tackle. I can't remember where, or was that for gouging. I'm not sure. I but, think it, um, it was. It was. It might have been for gouging. It's something that he's always persistently denied. And actually, yes, ever watched the, the footage. It was very strange to find that they found anything conclusive on that footage. But yeah, I, and I think that actually is 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 where there is a problem for me anyway with the disciplinary system because it's all based on precedent. It's all based on your career. If you turn up, smile sweetly, um, buy the first round of drinks for the hearing, then you're going to be uh, you're going to be given half the period just for uh, just for turning up. Seemingly, um, I think for me that weighs too heavily in the process. Personally, I would rip it up and start again anyway. I think there's too many bodies that are doing disciplinary leaders. I think there should be one disciplinary body for Europe, essentially, one for the Southern Hemisphere, and then manage it that way. And equally, the biggest thing I would get rid of, as, as well as, like that Axel Muller attack. I mean, he got five weeks, didn't he? Because basically, he'd been a good boy. Well, that was a disgraceful challenge. Mm. Absolutely yeah. disgraceful. And he's been, um, he admitted it being intentional. So the point yeah. is, is that he said at the time it was intentional and he's come along and he said sorry and he's admitted it. Well, of course he's got to bloody admit it because it's on video. He can't deny it. He can't deny it. He cannot you know, deny it. What did he bring? All. The Fox's special biscuits. You know, those really nice ones, the ones that have the little ones wrapped in red in there. They're quite nice. Surely not as good as rich tea. Surely not. But that's getting very partridge-like. Um, the, 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 that's the problem. The other problem is, and this, this relates to Guy Porter, when you mentioned London Irish, I'm not actually sure if he is available for London Irish at the top of my head uh, or not. Um, but the point is, he's banned on weeks. He's not banned on games. No, it's on games. And they clar- they clarified it on it. should be. Now, in football, what they do is you get a ban for the competition for the number of games. If you get a two-match ban you get in the Premier League, you get that for Premier League games. It doesn't apply to, say, any league in Europe or the Cubs. There might be some way of, uh, of doing that but honestly it's another area where we're frankly out of date by 30 years and we've got to sort it out Elliot you um, and I I think we were both of a view that you could almost see it as a red card and probably agree with Adam and Chris just because of the impact and what's happened you can see it being given as red but surely this was one where it was you know look the, he served his time off the pitch during the game there's no lesson to be learned from it yeah I, I agree that you know, we said last week it, the red cards is you could justify it because it's a literal interpretation of of, of the laws, and you know the, there's a logic behind the red card being being given. But for me, and as we said last week, there's enough mitigation there that should have been brought into a te- into account when it comes to deciding the length of a ban. And, and you know, when it comes down to it, is it he hasn't gone? You know, he's looking at the ball; he's not going for the man. It just seems an odd one all around. To, 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 it's, it seems a random generator of let's pick a number out the, out the hat. Oh, it's three weeks with a with a, a tackle course thrown in. So it's just it's a strange one, and you know there's a lot of inconsistency at the moment around the sort of the, the high contact and the high tackles on the pitch, and there's a lot of inconsistency off the pitch. And I think there's a 
I don't think it does the game any good to, to have that level of inconsistency around these issues. So, yeah, I, it, the three weeks just didn't seem didn't seem right in my book. And how would you, knowing how the disciplinary process has reacted to Porter, how would you approach it if you were on Chesham's legal counsel on Millard? Would you be sat there saying, look, contest this because there's an argument that it wasn't direct contact to the head if you super slow mode. It looks like it was shoulder up to head, but it looks quite borderline. I have to admit, you and I were on the terrace and we were a bit boozed up at the time, but we both thought it was a red card. But do you think that they will just say, yeah, look, whatever, or guilty, I'm really sorry, here's some nice biscuits. Can I have my six weeks down to three, please? And can I have another week off so I can attend a tackle course and I'll have it too and we'll call it that? Yeah, I mean, both of us on the terrace both called it as a red. I've watched the game back and when I looked at the incident again, I still thought it ticked enough of the red card boxes for it to, to be given a red. That said, there was a fair few amount of people on Twitter and Adam and Chris might again say it's a yellow card uh, and they saw it as a yellow card. And I think on this instance, it is a very borderline tackle. For me, I saw it as a red and you saw it as a red, but others would see it as a yellow. And I don't think... You're wrong to call for it for a red. I don't think you're wrong to call for it a yellow. The issue is that we've seen tackles like Chesham's be given as a yellow. If you look at the Dan Bigger tackle against Bristol uh, in the Saints-Bristol game a few weeks ago, similar sort of thing where in that game it was decided that he tackled and his, the shoulder, his shoulder hit the ball and it rode up and hit the head and it was mitigated to a yellow. On Saturday, you know, he hits the, the shoulder and, and goes up into the into the head and it's given a red card off the back of it. And so I think that's, again, it comes back to my point of we have a lot of inconsistency at the moment and I don't think that does the game any any favours. What worries me is obviously we've got a quarterfinal now against Leinster coming up. There's a semi-final uh, in the Prem coming up, hopefully at home, but we've still got to get that booked in and hopefully a final after that. What terrifies me is that you could have another incident like this in those games and really you could have same instant with two different verdicts given. I don't think that's really helpful because, again, if you look at the Leinster Connacht game on Friday night, the first tackle by Connacht, the Bundyaki one, I thought was a fair and good um, process done by Luke Pierce. The second one looked as, as red and obvious red as you can ever see, and it got given as yellow. And it, again, it's, it's just frustrating that we don't really seem to have much consistency on this. So, when it comes to Tolly Chesham, I don't see them overturning or going against the referee. Um, on it. I don't think it's a clear and obvious error. So I think you'd be better off just taking your biscuits and um, take your two weeks because I just don't think there's any point contesting it. But that would be um, that'd be how I'd do it. Adam, do you agree? Do you think they'll they'll play it safe and go for the two weeks? Because you always run the risk that they say, oh, well, you mm-hmm. haven't said sorry and therefore we're not going to give you the opportunity to mitigate it down to two. Well, this is it. I, and I think... Tigers were potentially, obviously I wasn't in the room and and I doubt, well, I would imagine rather that the people in charge of the decision-making process might disagree with this slightly, but Tigers were were possibly punished for trying to fight this and trying to fight their own case and their own corner on it. Um, But I I don't think that's a particularly healthy way to be. And you, you essentially are trying to create an environment where people just plead guilty, whether they feel they're guilty or not because they want an easier time of it. It's essentially a plea deal, isn't it? Um, to try and get people off a few weeks. Um, I think they probably will do that for Chesham. I, th- I think because 
there were because I, I honestly think actually just because Porter's was not a tackle, as it were, um, and uh, Chesham's was, I think that 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 bizarrely will make it more difficult for Tigers to defend it, just because. It, it appears to match the framework a little bit more simply and, and, and fits the uh, uh, fits the criteria a little bit more simply too. So I, I think they probably will uh, play this safe um, and just take two weeks. Yeah, Chris, do you think um, Ollie Chesham's lesson in this is that he, he did come in and he was motoring across and he put in some huge hits all game. You could tell that he was up for it. He didn't quite get low enough there if you're going to be ultra critical for him, even if it was a shoulder on shoulder. That is probably still the height of tackle that we're trying to get lower. Yeah, I, I thought he was always asking for trouble, to be honest, if you're going at that sort of level. And, and that's, that's I think, now the nature of the beast when it comes to high tackles. You know, If you think you're going too high, then you just need to drop it a little bit lower. And, and Chester didn't really correct that. So as good a season as he's had, as amazing a season as he's had, I'll be honest, I, I could see like Adam, I could see Leicester taking, the, taking putting up a guilty plea. Uh, but I don't think he'll get any less than Porter, which would put him out of the potential of the quarterfinal. I think he could get three weeks. I don't um, think it will be that person. I think they'll do the... Because th- I checked the Porter thing and they said, actually, it is down to games. They say the words weeks, but it does come down to games. So right. if they can, if they include Irish and Harlequins... Which they will. Which they will, then he should be available. Yeah. If, if, I, if, if, I, if he takes it down to two weeks with a naughty boy spank bottom course. Yeah. I think that I think Leicester will have course a complaint if they if he gets more, if he gets four weeks, then we'll see. But um or four games anyway. Uh yeah. let's see. Let's see. But I'd be sweating on this one a little bit because obviously with Van Stad now long term, you know the, You assume George good. Martin's out as well at the moment? Possibly, yeah, exactly. So even though they've got really good strength in depth, they're a little bit light in numbers right now. And going into the busiest part of the season, you don't want that. You're probably going to, and you're going to be really, really stretched. We can get onto this in terms of selection for Quinns because, you know, with that period of Quinns, Irish, Bristol, and then the quarterfinal, the squad depth is going to be tested absolutely to the limit. Mm, absolutely. The last thing I'm going to go and uh, say in the news section, well, actually, I've got one more thing to add on after that, but obviously this booked us into a home court final against Leinster, uh, who, God, if you look at their fans, it's already a done deal. No problem at all. I mean, they have every right to be confident. No, don't get me wrong, but I'd have thought there should be perhaps a little bit more due respect to what the club has achieved this season. But... Chris, I can see that you're keen to say something about this. I don't, I think they're favourites, so I think this could be a, a step too far. But well, what an occasion it's going to be. This is the biggest game the club has played probably since the semi-final with Rasti in 2016. Yeah. By, by some distance. Yeah. And they've got a shot. They've got a shot to win in that. Um, they're not favourites. Leinster, to me, are the best team in Europe by distance right now. Possibly Toulouse would be the only one who could uh, touch on. And of course, they may well end up meeting in the semi-finals. Not impossible at all. Um, Leicester have got a shot on the basis of who is the team that have most worried Leinster in the last five years or so. And there's only one candidate. It's Saracens. And whilst they don't play identically, 
there are enough similarities between the way Tigers approach the game to Saracens that make you think Leicester would give them a proper, proper game. I mean, the tickets go on general sale on Thursday. If there are any tickets left by Friday, I will be incredibly surprised. This is this is a game that neither of us are taking lead for. Mm. And if we had to pay for a ticket, I think we probably would do. Yeah. <laughs> Adam, you must be pretty excited already. I mean, I'm already sort of jumping up and down. You're playing the not just one of the best teams in Europe. Actually, it's one of the best teams in the world because you look at the, uh, the Leicester lineup. It's effectively the Ireland team minus two. And that Ireland team is a top three in the world side. So as far as I'm concerned, we're playing one of the top three sides in the world, effectively. Yeah, I, I think it's it's an absolutely blockbuster match. So exciting. Um, I, I, I'd say it's certainly the biggest good game that Leicester have had since that game at Rasting. I think probably uh, probably that game against Newcastle probably just shades it, but I agree. It's just the occasion itself will just be extraordinary. And you think about the fans that will come over for this um, from Ireland. They'll be in the city centre for quite some time. I mean, you know, hopefully they're over from the Friday. It's a Saturday game. They're over from the Friday into the Saturday. That would be absolutely fantastic. I think they've got a really good shot. I think these are probably... Um, you know, certainly the two form teams in the British Isles. I think you could possibly go as far to say with a little bit of competition from France, they're the two form teams in Europe at the moment going head to head. It's almost a shame it's a quarter final um, because of, you know, because of the form of the two teams, it possibly deserves to be a little bit later in that. But I think that bizarrely makes the stakes really, really interesting. Um, and yeah, I, 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 I think Leinster are favourites. I think you're right. I think they just shave it in terms of favourites solely just because, and I think we'll see this in the next couple of months, um, Tigers don't have experience or modern experience of being at this stage and Leinster do. And I think that probably just tips it in their favour. Elliot? Um, it's going to be too early to do previews and predictions and everything like that. I've seen some Tigers fans look a bit nervous about the game, but this is what being at the top is all about, isn't it? Yeah, it's what we all dreamed about when we were in the um, the Challenge Cup, you know, looking at the, at the big games. These are the sort of fixtures you want to be involved in. It's one hell of an opportunity to go out and showcase what we're about. I suspect it's probably come a year too early for us in terms of where we are in our development. You'd probably want yeah. to in a year's time, you'd feel more confident about taking a year on. when we don't. In a year's time, when we don't have Genjil Ford, well, that's the I flip mean... side of it, isn't it? <laughs> is that this this is the year where we've got you know the best loose head prop in the northern hemisphere and one of the best fly halves in the world. Yeah, I, I, that is a really good counterpoint. To be fair, I, where I I think if we have the game of our lives, we can win it. Now you have to obviously you have to play out your skin and you have to do everything and all the fundamentals that come with doing. Uh, a rugby game you have to do all of it to the best of your ability and you've probably got to hope that Leinster maybe have a slight off day as well but we do have a shot and I think you know the fact it's at home helps us out and I was watching the Leinster game on Friday against Connacht you know the bits and pieces that we do well and our strong points you know our physicality both in defence and when we carry our set piece game our ball uh, our kick chase and our overall defensive organisation and our um, breakdown work in likes of Montoya, Tommy Turnover, Namani, you know, you've got Liebenberg and Jasper and Genji. Those are sort of ingredients where you start coming together and you go, well, our plus points are reasons to get Leinster worried. You know, our set piece game would get them nervous. Our defence would nullify their attack. Our physicality is probably something that only they're only going to see at international level. 
So they, they don't get that physicality in the URC week in, week out, where Tigers can bring it and more, feroc- more ferocious than they've had before. So all of those things, when you start putting it together, there is a world in which you can see Tigers winning. And it's going to be at home, cheered on by 24,000, 25,000, going full bore for it. So, but it's just a mega, it's a great opportunity for us. And it's just great that, you know, we're back in amongst it to have these games to talk about. Just a couple of things to mention, just to back up, Elliot. Genge against Furlong. Ford against, Ford against Sexton. Stewart against Keenan. <laughs> you know, those you can do are that just, all over the park, can't you? Those are just three head-to-heads that you could pick out saying, bring it on. Nemani versus Lowe. And, and it's <laughs> going to be weird. It is going to be weird. Than that. Yeah, there's, there's also, there's also uh, Rafael against uh, Van der Fleer. There's yes. another one. Um, you know, there's the sens- sensational matches, and the best thing about this is, I'm not saying the next three games don't count. Far from it. They're still in all three comps. We're all going to be talking about one game during those three games. It's like it's all going to be about Leinster. Bet, st- bet for Steve, it won't be. Next no. game, next no. game. No, no, no. Exactly. Commentators, no, commentators, nightmare over there, Chris Leinster and Leicester. Try uh, make sure you don't get those two. <laughs> You'd still up. rather be I facing think- that than the Georgian sides, I'm sure. Tigers, it will be Tigers all the way on that. <laughs> <laughs> That's it for the new session. It's a little bit longer this time. I'm just going to quickly say something that I was going to put into the any other business section. But obviously, Les Tigers women's side is up and running. Uh, Welford Road will be playing host this weekend to England uh, women against Ireland women. Uh, it's particularly special because one of my favourite players, Emily Scarrett, I believe will be winning a 100th cap. Um, which is absolutely awesome. She is a massive Tigers fan. I have constantly badgered the Leicester Tigers women's setup to try and get just somehow sign Emily Scarrett because that would be absolutely incredible. But I just want to say best of luck to Emily and best of luck to England women. And if you haven't got tickets, get down and support the ladies because it will be... Also, Mike, also, Mike, one other thing, Emily Scarrett has never played at Welford Road. I know. How good is this? Like She's a massive Tigers fan. 100th cap, runs out of Welford Road. Brilliant stuff. Get down and support her and the team if you can. It'll be a great day. Okay, let's get into the game against Clermont. 27-17, through to the course finals. Pretty comfortable, if you're going to be completely honest, against Clermont. So they did throw a lot at us, but to be honest, never really felt like we were in danger against them. Well beaten over the quarterfinal as a whole. But, Elliot, we felt... It was a weird atmosphere, it felt like the game. It was a really good, joyous kind of carnival atmosphere. But I wonder if that meant that we didn't see Tiger's best performance. Yeah, it's an interesting game, to be fair. And it's it's, it's quite an unnatural thing for rugby games, because... With it being a two-legged affair, so the fact you start you start the game nineteen nil is is a bit of a a strange one because it's a unique situation. I think it, that was added to within the first ten minutes when Hanro crashed over to make it a twenty-six nil lead, and at that point you do feel fairly secure in that the you know the tyres and overall isn't going to be overturned. Now the results in the, the afternoon might not go your way, but there didn't seem much danger of of twenty-six points being overturned, and I think that possibly fed into it a little bit and I know all all throughout the week and Adam last week did the interviews with with Wiggy and and the rest of them and complacency 
was obviously hush hushed and saying it's not a feature of it. I think it's hard not to lose that that maximum intensity when you do go twenty six nil up. I think whether you mean to or not, I do think there was a slight drop off from Tigers, which contributed to maybe a slightly scratchy performance. But it's it's a, it shows how far we've come. Is that I thought the actual afternoon itself was probably a six and a half, seven out of ten performance. We're a bit unsure whether it was a good one. Yet we technically it was a bonus point win. You know, he scored four mm. tries. It would have been a bonus point win. Played some nice good rugby at times, and our defence was was fantastic throughout. You know, if you make 180 tackles and you only miss just under 30, both in our physicality, the hits we were putting in, and our organisation of reading the play, I thought our defence was superb. And for on a hot day when you're having to go through that much work, effectively, it is an unbelievable test of fitness and, and stamina. So, I think from a defensive point of view, they'll be happy with it. I think they'll be slightly annoyed about what they were doing in attack. And it's interesting that Genji said after the game that Steve gave him a half-time rollicking, which is um, which is very intriguing and probably shows the high standards that, that Steve wants to, to set. So I presume this month, today, for example, the review session might have been quite tasty for a few of them. But yeah, it's, you know, we got the win. So it is what it is. Adam, what was your sort of overall takeaway from the game? Where did you feel it was? Did, did you, were you equally impressed with the defence throughout it? Well, actually, uh, that was where I was going to start. I thought the defence saved Tigers a couple of times. It was interesting, Elliot, used the phrase 26-0, which they were, of course, at one stage when they were 7-0 up. It was the period just before Tigers scored their first try that worried me. I was concerned. I thought the only way Tigers would lose it was if was if Clermont scored two early tries. Yeah. And they certainly nearly scored one. They were camped on the Tigers' line on into, in the Tigers' at 22 for the opening, what, seven, eight minutes probably. Um, and by the time Tigers had scored their first try, I reckon they'd had 10% of the ball in, in the Clermont territory. Um, I think there were a few moments where Clermont attacked with a lot of purpose, a, a lot of desperation, but it looked like they were getting close and close and close. How many times were they on the verge of the try line? And they were just held up, just saved. I thought that was a key part of their performance. And I, I think Elliot's right. I think they played, and I think they admitted it to themselves, actually, that they played like they were that they were 19, 26 points up. I think they did do that, which I think surprised uh, the coaching team. I think surprised the players more than anything. I was, uh, that though, I think is such a positive. Tigers aren't going to play well sometimes, um, but they have the basics that are able to sort them out. Um, and... Overall, I thought it was a pretty solid display. Again, yeah, six, six and a half, I would agree with. Wasn't particularly special, but but it's the sign of a great team when they play a six and a, six and a half performance in, six out of ten uh, p- performance in, and beat a French giant incredibly comfortably um, as they did on uh, as they did on Saturday. Chris, the defence, as we mentioned before, was pretty well organised, and actually at the start, Adam, what perhaps gave a sign that we were a bit sloppy was JVP, his box kicking flawless mm. last week, charged down, back put us under pressure straight away. Fordy then gets a relieving penalty to clear it, misses touch, that never happens. Straight under pressure again, you're exactly right. I, th- I think it was less than 10% possession before Andro scored. Yeah. We one attack, scored a try, job done, and then we were under pressure again and we invited it on with mistakes again. Mm. But in defence, Chris, I-, I was really impressed with a couple of guys, not only just the guy- people who we usually expect now, Joe Hayes, Ollie Chesson, but properly bagging people but randomly Chris Ashton Harry Potter sitting people down for fun Harry Potter had Fritz Lee's number he was going after <laughs> yeah. him 
that was the moment of the game for me when he did that. I think was it the second half? I can't remember. But Richley um, had a run up as well, didn't he? Yeah, this is it. Lined him up, bang on your on your backside, my friend. It was uh, it was the George. He's had shades of. Well, I'm old enough to remember this. You lot might not, but Richard Lowe being put on the floor by Gavin Hastings in a World Cup third, third place playoff in oh, 1991. Big, big, big Gav was was the size of a small country estate, though, wasn't he? But the then Richard boy. Lowe was the, the size of a New Zealand wine estate, which is even bigger. <laughs> so, uh, I suspect he, he liked his Marlborough as well. So, you know, as well as gouging players allegedly. So there was all sorts of stuff going on there. In defence, and uh, but pot, I, I think it just shows the technique. And actually, with Ashton's problems with tackling in the past, and we know he's been up before the beak in the past. That's really quite encouraging uh, sign. Uh, so yeah, I, I can't really add much more to what's already been said in all honesty. But yeah, that Potter uh, tackle will um, will live in the memory a little bit. Tasty, I see Chris Ashton. You know, he's here to score tries. He's no secret. He's here to get the record. But he's not shirking the other bits of his job either. He's he's properly looking for the hit and he was throwing himself around, which is really good to see. Now, we do go up, we score a try. Old Captain Faithful, Captain Reliable, Hanro gets over, scores a try. Really good power, actually. I'm not a biggest fan of him at number eight. I think he's a guy who can do the job there. How important is he to Tigers? I mean, does he really lessen the blow of, of potentially losing Chesham for the next couple of weeks? Yeah, I mean... We- Last few weeks, we've started naming players in the, the 8 out of 10 club. And I think it really should be called the Hanro-Liebenberg scale because, you know, Hanro, ever since he's been here, and especially since Steve... He was in, the original member, founding member of the 8 out of 10 club, wasn't he? Well, this is it. I mean, he's just so consistent week in, week out. You know, normally plays at six, converts to eight for this week and equally puts in such a, um, a strong performance. And I think... The thing with Hanro is he's so composed across the field, really. You know, he, in defence, he tackles hard. He's a line-out, um, someone you can lob up in a line-out. He's, he's good at mauls. He can carry well. You know, his hands are good and, he, you know, he can cover some ground at speed. So he's such an asset to us. For me, if when you take him out of the side, it's, it's almost as big of an impact as you could at anyone because he's just such a link to what we do. I like. I, I actually quite like him at A. I don't think it's it's... It's that much uh, of an issue. But, yeah, he's just superb, isn't he? And uh, it was nice to see him get rewarded with a try, really, for his carry and stuff. Yeah. Because Jasper is the one that always gets the headlines for the, for the carrying. And Hanro seems to fly under the radar. So it was a nice, it was a pretty good finish as well, considering that it wasn't an easy... No, he's close to line, but it wasn't an easy um, an easy finish by any means. And he went straight through a couple of big defenders, which was encouraging to see. Uh, we were on the terrace and we said beforehand, particularly when we were starting to get pretty well warmed up in the pub before we were telling Steve what he should be doing with his tactics and telling the team how they should be playing the game. We thought that the team should be, if they got penalties within range, banging them over, building a score, taking all sort of hope away from Clement early doors. But instead, we kept going for the corner. and There was a little bit of inaccuracy there, wasn't there, Adam? Do you, you think that that was perhaps something that got talked about at half time because it seemed afterwards one of the first things Ellis did when he had a kickable shot was he went for it whilst beforehand we didn't uh, I think yes uh, I think that was probably just how many times have we seen this they had th- this incredible and unenviable stat of I think it got to nine games in a row where Leicester were behind at half time and came 
uh, through to win. I know they weren't behind in this game, but the point still stands that they weren't that in in those other games. They weren't playing particularly well in the first half and have the ability to come out and do the basics so well in the second. I was always so impressed by their ability to do that. Uh, they clearly sometimes come with a game plan, and if it's not quite working, if the execution isn't there uh, like it was, then they will just clearly pare the game down completely and say, "Let's do some." different let's let's focus on the basics um and ensure that we get those right before we try anything else and more often than not they come through to win after that i think the substitutions helped as well uh, again I, i'm a huge fan of jack van port i just don't think it was his day quite um on saturday when young's came on i thought um that was uh, that was the right call i'd say the same with nick dolly actually again brilliant player still learning and then when charlie came claire came on i thought that just steadied the ship too so i think it was a combination of the substitutions and then Tigers just focusing on a slightly more simplistic, basic and efficient mode of rugby that isn't the prettiest, um, apart from Harry Potter's try, um, but still has all the hallmarks of a Tigers team and is very, very effective. Yeah, I'd agree with that on JVP and Dolly, actually. I I thought they both had okay games, didn't think they had bad games whatsoever, but Mm. I think perhaps particularly with JVP, compared to the ecstatic highs where I thought he was imperious last week. Mm. Obviously, it was always going to be hard to quite live up to that. And it was just one of those games where I think he had a couple of mistakes in the first quarter. He really picked it up the second quarter and started the half well, but it was obviously Steve's thought that, well, let's just calm everything down and get some control, which was was just fine. Now, Chris, you were commenting, obviously, commentating on the game and Clermont certainly didn't roll over. They threw everything at Tigers and we talked about how good the defence was. I was quite impressed with that little 18-year-old scrum half they had, um, who, now I'm going to have to try and pronounce his surname. Is it John? I thought it was Jono. Not not English Jono, but Jono. But think the opposite to Jono, small and wearing a scrum cap and quick. And that's who he was. He, he was a real threat throughout. And I think he, he earned their penalty. Nearly scored a try from a charge down as well. Bear in mind that kid is 18 years of age. That was his first start. He'd only made one appearance for Claremont in the top 14 until then. But at 18 years of age, a year early, he started all five games for France on the 20 in the destinations this year. That's how much they rate him. So he is very, very much on the radar. I think I said this on commentary. I know Vicky McQueen sat a long time, which was very impressed with him too. He, he did look sharp. I would not be surprised in the slightest if there was a surprise back out here to bring him in and say it's the third to come off. He's not back up to DuPont, but you bring him in like Eddie Jones likes to do. Bring in two or three who, okay, they could do a job if there was a couple of injuries, but they're unlikely really to start. But you're thinking four years down the line. And I don't think Gautier's Gautier's going to leave after 2023. I think I think he'll stick around for a bit because they're getting something very special together. So, yeah, I liked him a lot. Quick. Reminded me of JVP. I don't know if it, if it felt mm. like that for you, Mike. You know, quick off the mark. Good kick on him as well. Um, very, very useful player. Scarily, scarily young. Frightening that he's 18. Perhaps slightly different JVP. I think JVP seems to have a more rounded tactical game, but obviously he'll learn that. But he was, he was very quick, very explosive. And, they say 18. It's a good job he doesn't have any decent French scrum halves in front of him, isn't it, to get into the national? Well, you know, I mean, they are a bit light there, really, aren't they? <laughs> I mean, I mean, they, 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 it's like they struggle for wine, really. You know, they, they really are in short order. So, look, <laughs> they're going to struggle. They're going to struggle without it. But, look, keep an eye out for him. And 
you can see actually you can see why they're letting Parra go because yeah. he'll be the, he'll be the starting uh, scrum half for Claremont maybe not next season but the season after. Yeah, that, then they can build a whole new dynasty to nearly win the European Cup every year. Um, anyway, I thought one downer of that first off, obviously, was they made a break. It was actually, I think, a rare missed tackle by Maroney. I think he just slipped straight off Racker. He got sort of swatted away, which you don't see very often. And I suspect that Kev might be sort of glowering at him about that. Or perhaps not. So I think he will know that he, he messed that one up. But then obviously on the chase back, I think it's from that chase back, Dan Kelly does his hamstring. Um, how big a blow is that going to be, do you think? I think it's it's a massive blow because, you know, Dan Kelly is probably one of our key players. You know, if you talk about half a dozen, if you talk about a fictional big game, or, you know, Leinster in a few weeks' time, Dan Kelly would probably be in the first six names on the team sheet that you'd want to have. So the reality is once you have a sniper um, hamstring injury that usually shows that's a it's a biggie. The key thing for me is the 11th of, of June because that's the, the, the Premiership semi-final. I think you've got to make sure that he's back available at some point before then so, he, so he's available for the semi-final and fingers crossed the final a week later on the 18th. But I know Matt Scott's an able replacement at 12 and centres is a, is a uh, position where we've always said we're uh, in a good position to, to cover but yeah, Dan Kelly at 12 is a big, big loss uh, to not having a team. So you just got to hope it says he can be back and mended and back on the field as, as soon as possible. But it didn't didn't look too clever the way he went down holding his hammy. Well, as someone who is horribly injury prone and has been sniped many a time, having not stretched off his hamstrings properly, there is such a massive range of the injury from being, I think, three weeks, which is good, obviously then to potentially you're looking at about two months, which is considerably less good so we'll hopefully see what it is I mean my issue with him is that he is the glue really to a lot of our defensive play in the midfield if you watch how tight he Ford and either Potter uh, and either Porter or Maroney whoever it may be is outside him he glues that all together when Matt Scott went to the top he's a very very capable player but he's a 13 who's playing 12 I thought they side through, I think, pretty much straight away in the first half. And that might not be Scotty's or Ford's fault, but that's just they're going to have to establish a pretty good line of communication pretty quickly because they're going to have some big games coming up where they'll be tested. Adam, I, I don't suppose Steve gave anything away at all about Kelly. <laughs> he said, yeah, he was he, jog, he jogged home. He was jogging down Saffron Lane with the kebab later on. He he was being tested, I believe, and and to be fair, uh, uh, it's a Monday. What well, they left the pitch, they had left the pitch thirty six hours um, after I had spoken to him. Pretty much, uh, it's bank holiday weekend, so I don't think they were going to be getting any test results back. He is being tested, as as we understand it. I don't think even if the tests were back, I would have been told. Uh, but um, the tests were uh, the, 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 they are awaiting tests. But that does tell me it's pretty that they are worried at the very least. I think if it's test, that's bad because that suggests yeah. you worry, worry then that it might be something being pulled close yeah. against the bone, which you mm-hmm. really don't want. So, well, fingers crossed for him because he's a great player, great bloke as well. Um, Adam, the second half started with, I think, a penalty, as we said, that they obviously adjusted. So, look, let's just build some points. But then we had Matt Scott going over after some nice work by Rafael, but also fantastic work by George Ford. He switches the point of attack, goes from right to left. He does a goose step that would have the Marcus Smith media brigade 
absolutely messing their pants with excitement at that. But he does that. He takes two players out. Um, his his attacking side gets so overlooked, doesn't it? But that was just a wonderful bit of subtle play by the fly half to create the space for Matt Scott. Yeah, and I I, I think it's just because... I mean, I remember when Tigers weren't doing very well and he was just sort of doing it all on his own, um, that we would see a little bit more. Uh, we, we did see a little bit more of that. I, I think it's a compliment to the players around him that we see less of it. But I, I again, I, he just has those moments of unique quality that very few players are capable of. He has that ability to conduct the orchestra for Tigers, which I just think is superb. And he, I, I think under Borthwick, because of the way that Borthwick plays, that is often what is required of him more than anything um, to do that, going back to the basics, do the basics extremely well as a 10 uh, and to read the game and manage the game incredibly well. But when he does do those little bits of magic, what he has got in his locker, um, I, he's just such an exhilarating player to watch. His ability to be consistent in so many different areas of his game is a real quality. Um, it, that that will be truly missed. He's just, that 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 ability to just have a moment of magic. Um, it's, it's, I suppose it's what Freddie Burns has to a greater extent, but Burns, but but Ford makes fewer errors than Burns. That's the thing, I suppose, isn't it? When 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 those little fleet-footed moments come, when those little bits of magic come there isn't the other side, which is the mistake that's made on occasion. So I, I just think he's an absolutely superb player that will be hugely missed. Speaking of mistakes, we had a couple of occasions during this game where straight after scoring a try, we then went pretty much straight back and conceded one. And that was the case here. I think Racker went through, perhaps Chesham uh, overstepped out of the line a little bit. Joe Hayes was obviously a prop covering across, was picked out. I think by their fullback who um, looked a lot more dangerous this game than he did last time. Looked really good, and they managed to get over. Racker scores a try. He was again very dangerous in attack, liability in defence. Um, Fritz Lee also managed to coast through a gap. Chris close to the ruck. Did do you think that there will be some cause for concern over those two tries? They they looked a little bit easier than perhaps than we usually like to concede. I think you also have to bear in mind, Mike, for me, that was probably the most difficult home game Leicester have had, probably since Quinn's over Christmas. And that, I think, reflects the quality of opposition. That would be my only concern. And we're into unproven territory, and we're, we're not going to know it until probably after they play Leinster. Um, told you we're going to be talking about Leinster an awful lot for the next three weeks old. Um, <laughs> That would be my own consistency because Lee is Lee's one of the best number eights in Europe. Lee uh, still. As long as, as long as he's not running at Harry Potter. Yeah, exactly. Uh, well, no, that's Racket. I mean, uh, Potter just has to like shake his hips and he's uh, and he's away from, uh, from Racket. Um, uh, Racket's... I love watching Racket play, to be honest. And, and he filled him with dread every time he got the ball yeah. in, uh, in Claremont, especially. Um, that's the quality that Leicester are going to come up against. Now, actually, bear in mind, Porter's 25 in his second season at top-level rugby. So is Potter. So is Kelly. I'm not saying that you would necessarily go in with them, but Scott's no mug. 40 caps for Scotland. Moroni's defensively a genius at uh, an outside centre. In a big game, and remember that Moroni has played in a Super 14 final. Yeah you might want that experience. And let's not count them out yet. The biggest challenge for me, just throwing it forward very slightly and quickly, 
and I've put this in the newsletter in the past, can they play 315s separately against Irish, against Bristol, and then against Leinster? Because yes. having, having just about, because having seen the Leinster team that's going out to South Africa, I only spotted Porter from the first choice 15 that's going out to play uh, two URC games. And, and he needs game time because he's been injured for a while. Exactly. So their, their plans are very, I, I suspect they will be training. They won't be having two weeks off. They'll be training and getting ready for Welford Road. So how much rest? can Borthwick give these players even though they're still in three competitions? I don't think so. I, th- I always think that the resting is there's never an exact science. Every time we seem to uh, Steve always says the advantage is always with the rested side but I've seen teams come in a bit cold and other teams seem like they're on a roll. So like you say it's an interesting balancing act. But this is the key point about this weekend because if they beat Harlequins home semi-final guaranteed Yeah then there is absolutely no reason to play anybody who's going to play against Leinster, against Bristol. You throw all your cards in. I don't want to lose to Bristol and Pat Lamb. I know, I know, but we've got to think of the bigger picture. No, I want pettiness. I want pettiness and I want to rub Pat Lamb's face in it. I want Ellis Gaines (laughs) to score a hat-trick and then turn around and say he's not leaving. And as much as I loved Leo Cullen when he was, uh, when he's he's a smashing bloke. He really is a terrific bloke. Um, I'd rather see him not smiling after the game than Pat Lamb. Oh, don't. You've just put Sorry. the image of Pat Lamb smiling in my head. I'm never going to be able to sleep now. Thanks. <laughs> um, so, obviously, after that try, we can finally, Elliot, finally talk about the try that we all want to talk about, which is, Oh, what, the course, penalty try? The penalty try for the rolling Oh, ball. that was actually the first one, wasn't it? Yeah, <laughs> should we just skip past that one? Yeah, they got two yellow cards, blah, blah, blah. We, we, we pressed them. It, although we did. We were on the terrace and we were very past them. We said it's a clear penalty try. Um, did we? we they, took, they did have bloody take their time. Though. Yeah, I mean, it, I think as soon as it, it went to ground, we were screaming for a penalty try. And I said, that, I think we were probably screaming for it but when the mall was set up, to be honest. But that was probably <laughs> yeah. due to the amount of Guinness we'd had. But no, I, it was nice to get a, a rolling mall uh, penalty try, I have to be honest. It was a nice um, nice thing to get. But obviously the big one is the, uh, is the jinking run from uh, the magic man himself. Oh, well, let's get on to that now because it was the scrum was right in front of us. Ben Young spots the gap around the fringe and he just, firstly, he sets everything off because he creates the need for the outside defence to step in, creates the space, and then Potter goes straight through it. Now, one thing we've learned about Potter, he chases really well. He's very good aerially. He's very solid defensively. He works hard. His ability to beat players, we perhaps I was going to say perhaps, you know, isn't that well known, but of course he scored an absolute beauty against Gosser, didn't he, where he went through people. So, was this, you know, perhaps uh, just a reminder for everyone that, hang on, Harry's like, I'm here. I can still play. I can still be slithering around defenders. Oh, God. Oh, God. Sorry, that's the last one, I promise. <laughs> um, but how impressed were you with that? I mean, he's ball carrying and he's, he just has the ability to sort of glide past players where he doesn't seem to be sort of travelling at any speed, but he just goes past and just glides through. And it, it is quite funny. Every time he sticks his tongue out, he starts beating people left, right and centre. As soon as the tongue comes out, defences shit themselves. <laughs> um, it's, a, it's a wonderful run. And it, I, what I quite liked about it was Ben Young's setting it up because it's a nice sort of repost to all the stick Young's has got over the last few weeks. And, you know, he does get a bit of an unfair reputation, Young's. And, I, you know, it's a it's a moment of top quality from him. It was a, 
cracking scrum force that set it up and, and put it in a in a direction for him to. It's brilliant observation of the space and carrying it out and and fixing defenders to create the opportunity. And then from there, it's just brilliant from Potter because he just beats players for fun. And what I liked about it is how he um, stepped back inside to create the outside space and then drew his man, popped it across. And it, it's very easy to overthrow the pass in that situation. He's someone who's... He was having to put it over a defender as well. So he had to put touch on it, if that's how the American footballers talk about on a pass where you're dropping it in between the coverage zones. He had to put touch on it. Yeah, I mean, having been in that situation as an ex-winger before, it's very easy to get all very excited and just to throw an absolute spanner of a pass and to leave your mate um, snookered, to be honest. So, no, it's a wonderful try. And I think certainly it's going to have to go into the uh, the try of the season uh, competition. And it's up there with that um, wonderful effort against Gloucester as well. But no, it was, it was just great to watch. And mm. it was true. The crowd just go nuts on it. Absolutely. And Adam, I mean, from my point of view, I thought Harry had a fantastic game. Actually, the, the sidestep he did on Racker, where he he almost just seemed to kind of accelerate. He he didn't really change direction drastically, but he just left Racker eating turf on the floor, not even touching him. How impressed were you with not only that his work in that try, but his performance overall? Well, I have to have, make a confession at this stage, and Chris can back me up on this uh, because uh, obviously Uh-oh. we sit next to each other. I should I should say that, of course, the people might struggle to understand why on earth I would do this. But because I present the show, the only time when I can go and fill up my water bottle when I can go to the toilet is during the game. <sighs> so, yeah. So I I pop down the steps with Tigers with a defensive with a scrum deep in Tigers' own territory. I thought there's no way nothing we don't attack so I pop from down. Deep. I popped down to go and um, to go and fill my water bottle up, and then suddenly heard, you know, uh, for those of you who've been underneath the Crumby Terrace, it's a great sensation. You hear the stomping of the feet, the uh, uh, the cheering, and thought, "There's no way Leicester have just scored." Then they must have just won the scrum or something. Um, I walk out, and a man um, who may be a listener to, to your to your excellent podcast just said to me, "Ah, oh, what are you doing? How could you miss a try like that, Mister Commentary Man?" Um, and then hilariously, sounds like something one of our listeners might say. Well, we uh, we we then <laughs> ran into Harry Potter after the game. Chris and I wandered down, and we were stood, um, but we were just stood with the kit, just having a chat. And Harry Potter wandered over, and we stood sort of chatting to him, chatting about the try. And I told Harry that story. And so bizarrely, the, the same bloke was just there. Wasn't he? he turned around and went, "Oh, that was me." Um, <laughs> Have you got a stalker, Adam? Is that yeah, what you're no, trying to say? Yeah. Who, who was um, it, Steve? <laughs> Yeah. Uh, um, so it was it was uh i have now since the since seen the try and you're right what i love is you just don't see it is that the way he moves past racker the line that he runs to completely cut him off i remember watching it and thinking i haven't really seen somebody run a line like that for quite a long time or sort of to to, to cut a defender off in quite that way it's just something you don't really see very swerve often. of the hips that was yeah exactly you don't see that it's like a 1970s when you watch the classic welsh side the old videos of them it was something out of that yeah, yeah. it, it was it was it was a fantastic try and i i think i think potter and porter are the most improved players and symptomatic of leicester's uh, Leicester's rise this season. I don't. I, I don't think a lot of people had expected much of people like Potter and Porter, largely through <clears> what had <throat> happened in the previous in the previous few years, because they had bought over a lot of players like that who had done nothing. And Tigers would actually make those players worse often. 
But he is, they are a prime example of people who I don't think we had a lot of expectation for, but who have absolutely excelled and made themselves into, into proper players. Uh, Potter looks like he's bulked up. He looks more confident where he's playing. And again, that, that right wing spot, I appreciate you played on the left on Saturday, but that right wing spot was the one area pre-season that we were unsure who was going to play there. Um, and now he is the first choice by quite some distance. Um, and and I, I think he's just been a fast, fantastic even, player. Even with Ashton arriving. Yeah, I think so. I think so. I think Ashton Ashton is an incredibly handy player to have around. Yes. It's incredibly wily as the second choice, a really good second choice. But I think Potter is the first choice again by some distance. Well, whilst all the chat is about Potter on that one, Chris, obviously Stewart is the one that actually gets over and finishes the top. And, you know, he had to work, all his hard work was done beforehand. He had to work bloody hard to get up in support, get the ball, and it was good pace to finish in the corner. As, as usual, I, I predicted this when he would get selected, that after the first few games, even though he's played extremely well for England, you then have people say, oh, he's you know, he doesn't beat enough players or anything like that. I thought he had a very, very good game in attack. There were a couple of times when he made bust through people or bust round people. He's in, looks like he's improving his footwork all the time, doesn't he? Absolutely. Just one last point about that, the, the, the Potter build-up, mind you. Um, that was the second time in two weeks that he did Racker like that. Because if you remember for his try in Claremont, he did exactly the same thing. Yeah. Racker comes in like a missile, basically, from the side. And then there's another famous... Uh, a potter wiggle of the hips and he's uh, just gone straight past him and all you see is Racker at sort of like about knee level basically. It's like Shakira, isn't he? Uh, There's his new nickname now, Shakira. The hips do not lie, basically. They really don't. So, um, (laughs) (laughs) let's not go down that path. No, it's just horrible (laughs) images in my mind for that I know, I know. know. Taking it back to Freddie though, his his work, when he takes the high ball, he's got now that Mike Brown-esque ability, I think prime Mike Brown ability to beat one or two players when he catches the ball that's so important you, isn't it it really is and you need that from a modern fullback oh, God, not just a modern fullback John Gallagher going back 30 years or so was an absolute master of cutting into the line um, I, I'm not enough of an expert of fullback play to work out quite how far he needs to go just yet but you can quite clearly tell whether it's at Leicester or England level that is the side of his game that he's been told he needs to contribute more towards so he's doing it a lot it wasn't just on Saturday you're seeing him come into the line this season a lot more than he did last season and he'll only improve from that the only thing is could they find an extra yard of pace in that first five metres for Stewart or if he's got that pace can they perhaps just work on getting him slightly closer to the line and using in a bus because obviously when you've got runners like Nandolo and Saumaki you're always going to be tempted to use that. I'd be, I'd be tempted to use Stewart with, what is he, six foot five, uh, about 15, 16 stone. You know, he's he's, he's no uh, Vakatawa or Bastero in terms of weight, thank goodness, in the latter's case. But he's got he's got something about him and he could do some damage in midfield, potentially. Absolutely. Well, that, that, that takes us pretty much to the end of the game. It's a bit of a procession, really, at the end. I mean, we had the red card, obviously, in the lead try that we've already mentioned. So... Not going to go too much into that, but felt like a bit of a procession, perhaps enough for Steve to get in on them and have a few choice words of them, perhaps midweek, which is exactly what you want. And that takes us into the Quinns game and a chance to get a home semi final in the Premiership. Okay, well, we've just got time for our three word reviews. Elliot, what have you got? So, we've got a couple of, as always, so many good ones, which makes it 
harder for us to have to pick them out. But so thank you very much for getting in touch. But Ben Whiteman uh, tackles for days. And I think that reflects the immense uh, defensive uh, shift we had to put in. And it's like, you know, 180 tackles. That's just unbelievable effort. Particularly during that first sort of spell, that first quarter, we were on our own line a lot, weren't we? Yeah. Um, yes. and, and absolutely uh, great shift on the boys in defence. Really impressive stuff. Uh, I'm going to go <laughs> with Teabag Tell. I mean, it's a great name. You, know, you already know it's <laughs> yeah. going to be a good one. But he's summed up actually quite a few ones. So was, I was drunk, was his three words. Well, you know, quite blunt to the point. Doesn't offer a lot of match insight, but there's quite a few there. Too much Heineken, lost my voice. Uh, and so I can understand it felt like a pretty raucous crowd i think that we weren't the only ones mate who had done a pub crawl on the way there well when i went to go to get a round of drinks in for us they had that some old boy was having an argument with a bar staff because they'd run out of lager and he was having to drink tiger or or guinness i was like well beer's beer mate <laughs> beer's beer you know just keep just crack on but yeah i think clearly we drank the um drank the bars dry of uh some lager which is uh, always a, it's always i think an impressive performance to be fair um Simeon Wright put concerning injury collection. And that is a, a very good point because obviously Dan Kelly went down. Nick Dolly took a um, a bit of a blow uh, as well in the first half and managed to shake it off. But there's still a concern there. You start throwing injuries into the, the, the red cards with Porter and Chesham and suddenly you have a bit of a problem on our hands. So, um, so yeah, hopefully we can get some boys back on the field as quickly as possible. Absolutely. Yeah, it, it is. We also starting. don't know about George Martin as well. We so. don't know about George Martin. And therefore, when you lose chess and then you start to, mm, the six is getting a little bit thin. And then you look at centre and, you know, we were just bragging about two weeks ago, weren't we? How strong we were in that position. But Kelly going is quite a bad one, as we said. He At 12, he's the only really sort of out and out 12. David True also chimed in to say another gear available. I thought that was really good because we, it did look a bit of a procession at times. We did what we needed to do, but I felt that we were very much ahead of them in terms of the tie overall. We looked really comfortable. And that was really pleasing. Perhaps an indication of the two sides are like ships in the night passing on different trajectories at the moment as to where they've gone, where they've been and where they're going. So as always, thanks a lot for sending those in. There are loads and loads that we want to mention, but we just won't have time to go through them all. Please do continue to send them in and we'll get through some more next week. Okay, join me on the Hangover Express to Elliot's Imports. And now we're going to, first off, announce what was a rare straight shootout between two players that we have on the Imports. It's usually, for anything we've done, Colt Corner or Imports, we've had four or five different options. It was just two players here, wasn't it? Joel Stransky and Van der Vesthausen, Jaco Van der Vesthausen. And yeah, d- it wasn't close, was it? No, and I didn't think it was going to be, to be fair. I think there was going to be a, I thought it was going to be quite a um, a walkthrough, to be fair. And so it proved out with Stranners running away with it. <laughs> to be fair, he's absolutely blitzed it. I mean, he, just looking at the percentages, 83% to Stransky, 17% from for Jacko. I mean, that's as, as, as clear as you're going to get. So uh, Stranners goes into, the, um, goes into the team, which makes it a pretty good, um, ten... du- Dupuy and Stransky yeah. there's some nouse there isn't there there's some how to win a game when it's tight get those two on it like, the thing is with Yako, like he was probably 
a more talented ball player. In fact, I'll be reasonably confident to say he was. But he's already in the cult corner 15. What more do you want, Yako? You... I mean, That's we it. said that the pack for the import 15 was pretty gnarly. Chavos at 9 and 10, that says, that is, yeah, I mean, it's, it's coming together. I sent you a list of the options for the import backline. And you think the pack's good? I think I think the backs is where it's at. And we're going to get into that now, aren't you, with the 12 jersey. And this list of 12s is absolutely insane. It's almost disgusting how many quality players we've got to choose from. So we think between us, we've got a list of five names who we think are suitable candidates. And we think of the five, three automatically go through to the final. And we think there's a two that not sure about, so we're going to do a bit of a shootout. So the three um, definites, Daryl Gibson, Pat Howard and Aaron Major. Yeah. They go straight through. Which one of those three is your favourite? I I love Daryl Gibson. Absolutely love him. I do think Pat Howard probably... Well, I didn't get to see Pat Howard in his pomp, but I think the impact and the how everyone um, comments on what he brought to the side, I think it's hard to look on. Uh, anyone other than Pat Howard. I think Major was terrific, absolutely quality player, but I do think Pat was a, a special signing. So if, if for me of those three, it'd probably be Howard that nicks it. I think it is for me as well, but it is very close. It's cigarette paper between it, all three. It really them. is, because Howard was absolutely astonishing. If you look back, I think it's on YouTube, there's a Leicester Tigers documentary of one they, when they did the league and European double um, in 2001. So the Stade Francais year. And it was when Howard was playing. And you can just see what an insanely well-balanced and well-rounded player he was in terms of his vision, his passing, his footwork, strength, speed, the lot. He had everything. And he was coaching at the same time. And obviously, he didn't have to do a bad job coaching us either. So I think that kind of gives him a little nudge for me into the import 15. Major, I thought, was just oozed class. I think it took him a little while to get going. But once he did... He just looked absolutely world-class every game. And Gibson was just one of the hardest centres I think we've ever had in terms of hitting hard, running hard. And of course, for me, one of the best centre combinations the club has ever had was Gibson and Smith, 0405. Yeah. They were just majestic playing off each other. So uh, I think it's really hard to say. For me, it's Howard. Yeah, I, I think so. I think so. But, you know... All three have got an, a, as an equal an equal shot at it. So the semi-final is going to be a shootout between two names, Rod Kafer and Matt Tamura. For different reasons, we probably didn't see the best of them uh, in a Tiger shirt. Terrific players, had co- unbelievable careers, both p- before and after um, Tigers. But maybe, And we saw glimpses of it. You know, we, we saw real good moments for them but maybe not quite on a similar sort of level as the other boys. So we're going to have a bit of a shootout to make it a top four. Rod Kafer and Matt Tamura. I have to be honest, I fucking love Matt Tamura. I thought it was meant. He had that one season. I think he had one season when he was injured, one when perhaps his head had turned and he was going somewhere else. But he had one season where he was just running the show. And it was before 4D became insane. And I felt that it was Tamura often who dragged the side through. Is it a series of about four games where he would throw, miss three passes. And before Marcus Smith was on everyone's radar, it was a Matt Tamua miss pass that would be on every highlights reel. It was unbelievable. Yeah, I mean, 
He tackled well, strong kicking game, could pick a pass like you've never seen it. Unbelievable line, just a quality all-round player. And yeah, for for one season, in particular six-week period, he looked every inch the marquee player we 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 were expecting. Um, yeah, a terrific player. Oh, I was a bit too I was a bit K- too young for Rod Kafer though, so I didn't get K- to see. Kafer didn't play brilliantly for us, but he won a European Cup. But on the other side, he is a bit of a knobhead, so that's my professional input on that. So Kafer, good European Cup, but knobhead, and to move quality. So you know, read him, read into that what you will. Yeah, it, it's to move. But we'll put up a vote for those who will put a semi-final in and then a final four. Yeah, absolutely. So um, in the meantime, we turn our attentions to the 13 shirt, which could be quite spicy as well. So let's see. Let's see who you've got for 13. We'll bang out a couple of votes for you for for the 12 shirt. And let's see who uh, who wins out. Newsflash for 13. Manu Tuolangi is not an import because he came through the academy and played for England. So bear that Is that some admin? Is that the admin? That is the admin out the way. But... I think that we might see a bit of creative selection here because I know that there are a lot of wingers, Conover, Rabeni, who ended up playing a lot at 13 for us. We'll leave that there. Mm. Okay, so that takes us back down to earth with a bump. Well... Not really, because we're still flying high in the Premiership. So, oh, we're still just fighting in all three competitions. You can't help but be smug and probably slightly arrogant about it. But here we are. We're playing Quinns away at the Soup, Saturday, three o'clock. Particularly important game, because just before we've hit record, we've had the most boring conversation in the world. We've been trying to figure out, does a win guarantee us a home semi-final? And the bottom line is, Yes, it does. The fact is that Harlequins are the only side that can catch us. They're on third with 68 points. We're first, obviously, uh, with 80 points. We've both played 20 games. So effectively, we need to be more than 15 points away from them at the end of this round to guarantee a home state final. And the simplest way we do that is we win. And then everything will be all right. I think there would be a weird situation where if we won, but they got two bonus points or something like that, then it's not mathematically secure. But... Let's keep it nice and simple. Now, we were hoping to have the Harlequins podcast boys on this. You may remember we had them on the preview for the home fixture. Uh, We ambitiously and stupidly said that we would record on Sunday morning. Well, I was struggling. Apparently, they said they had bodies on the floor still (laughs) at midday when I was going out for a family lunch. So we weren't able to, unfortunately, get them involved. They kicked off at 12.30 against Montpellier. So, yeah, no surprises that they're in bad shape. We might see if we could do perhaps a short midweek thing with them later on on their podcast if you want to go and have a listen in on that. But Elliot, um, exciting times. For me, it's still a really exciting game. I think one of the highlights of the league, given how Harlequins play and that, you know, the ethos, their DNA. Oh, absolutely. It, you know, the big games keep keep on coming. April going into May, is, it, it's such an exciting time for us where it, each week becomes bigger and bigger. It's a real clash of styles considering how you know, it's fire versus ice, really, in terms of how they go about the game and how we go about it. I think the first game probably was the blueprint, you know, keep it tight, make it physical and really put the squeeze on and, and, and be organised in defence. And you can, 
grind them down over the 80 minutes. I suspect that's probably going to have to be the, the same tactics again, where if you try and play them at their own game, it'd be suicide because they, they can throw the, the ball around at will and can cut any side open. So having Moroni at 13, I think will be key because his defensive organisation and reason for play is top draw. And you've just got to defend and be so organised against them. But it's, it's a great challenge. And yeah, I think one for the pack to try and do their best to, to, to slow them down and impose our physicality. Adam, do you think that we're going to go into this with a first choice team? Is there going to be rotation? Obviously, there are some battered bodies, but this is still a game which we would surely want to win, given where Harlequins are. I can't necessarily see us saying, ah, yeah, but we've got Bristol at home later on. I I think this is a really interesting call because Steve Borthwick flirted with rotation in that game against Clermont. But and we don't know whether, for example, Nomani Nandolo is injured or not. But it was interesting that he didn't feature for both uh, I, both matches. We have we have a response on that. Um, somebody asked him directly on Twitter, and uh, he said, "Oh, shame you weren't there. Are you injured?" And Nomani said, "No." Okay, then that means he was rested for both of those games. So I would suggest he would come back for Quinns and was and was uh, and was targeted to come back for Quinns. I think you'll see players like Dan Cole come back for Quinns. Um, I think they will go full out for this one to seal the deal for a home semi-final. Um, and and also, I think these games are the preparation that they need ahead of a Premiership semi-final now. Yeah. Um, they want to be playing the teams around the top four. This is the practice they need to face the big teams with what Bristol Wasps uh, and Newcastle to come. This is the best team that they're going to face until they play at Welford Road in, uh, in the semi, if that, if that is indeed what they shore up. So... I think they will go big. Intriguingly, Chris and I were talking earlier on the phone and we said that the fact that Ellis Genge was picked on Saturday suggests to me that it's more likely he will play this weekend still. He, he just seems to want, and they want to give him as many minutes as they will want. I think you'll see a, a full-strength Tigers team trying to win this game uh, for those reasons. Chris, um, Harlequins were really, really flying perhaps before Christmas, they, they had a little bit of a wobble, but very recently they seem to have found their groove again, haven't they? And they they can be dangerous from pretty much all over the pitch. And obviously the golden boy himself, Marcus Smith, quite rightly I say, I'm not one of these people who kind of is going to take the mick out of him. I think he's absolutely superb. He's been, along with George Ford, head and shoulders, the best two English fly halves playing in the league. And my God, did you see the try that they yes. scored at the weekend. There was oh, one try that eclipsed the Tigers one. I have to say, it was that Harlequins one. It was genius, wasn't it? Yeah, oh, totally. The dummy I switch. I, I, reckon, I reckon that... I, I, that's a sensational try. I completely agree with you. My fear is that the way they lost that, though, with the conversion that uh, the mm. Smith, uh, the penalty that uh, that Smith missed, it was a conversion, it was, wasn't it? And it was, it was sorry, it was conversion. Yeah. yeah. So, but it it was gettable conversion, wasn't it? It wasn't. It wasn't all that straightforward, but you'd still expect him to get it. I wonder if that just might raise the temperature a little bit on Saturday. Um, you always figure that a team that really does is desperate to avoid defeat always has something, and. It was fascinating. It has shades of how the Exeter game went, albeit in a different style. I think Leicester need to win this. I really do. Because I think 
in an ideal world, there are one or two bodies in that 15 that played against Claremont that, that Wolf would ideally like to give a week off to. I'm thinking especially of Genji, who's got through a lot of rugby recently. Yeah. I think he needs a week off. I still think Leicester will get home semi-final, even if they lose to Quint. But it just just adds in a little extra to the uh, to, to the mill. Because after all, they're only six points, I think, ahead of Exeter, aren't they, Quint? So it's not impossible that this could be a warm-up for a potential Premiership semi-final between that's, these two. That's exactly right. And I think the other thing you have to think about as well is just the seeds of doubt at this point in the year, that losing with your first-choice team away at Quinn's, even if, yes, they're having to fight and we don't necessarily have to, it's just the kind of thing that can perhaps play in the mind, just interrupt the rhythm a little bit whilst going there and winning with, hopefully, a first-choice team, but perhaps with a few guys rested or close Close sort of second choice. You know, if you're going to play someone like, oh, you know, do you play Green instead of Snayman or someone like that? Then that's yeah. not really, that's just an out-and-out rotation. Yeah, because I, I think Montoya, for instance, I think that was just an out-and-out rotation last yeah. weekend. I mean, he's got, he's got again, there's probably a big, no disrespect to Nick Doddy or indeed Charlie Clare, but there's probably a bigger gap between Montoya and the other hookers at the club compared to every other position. Agreed. And, and potentially at loose head as well. Namely, three players that Leicester could ill afford to lose ahead of Leicester or any other knockout game. They'd probably be Genge. They'd probably be Montoya for certain. And yeah. probably Gondola. And Fordy maybe, maybe as well. Fordy maybe, yes. Um, but Nandolo offers you something totally different. I don't think they've lost with him in the starting 15 yet. Mm. Um or they've lost very few with him in the uh, in the starting fifteen, uh, and the other two are just world class. So, look, you want to wrap them up in Carlton Wall and bear in mind how few games Nandolo played for Montpellier uh, in his last season. So I, you can understand why they're probably taking him out of the firing line for Claremont with uh, with Harlequins and and probably Leinster to come. Let's just quickly go round the table then. If you had to pick one of the danger men for Harlequins, don't pick an obvious one like Don Brandt or Smith. If you had to pick a key player for them, Elliot, who are you going with? Who do we need to look out for? I think Esther Hayden is, is, is the big one for them. I think that a lot of what Smith does is built around the hard work that he does. Um, does he does a lot of the dirty work. You know, He does a lot of the ball carrying, heavy shifting, sucking in defenders and creating the space for care to rip the ball away quickly to, for Smith to exploit. So... You know, it's an interesting match because presumably it's going to be Matt Scott at 12. I mean, Dan Kelly versus Esther Hazen would have been an exciting battle in its own right. But, you know, I think it's probably going to be Matt Scott versus Esther Hazen. And I think if you can stop him at source and not let him go get over the gain line, that probably nullifies a lot of what uh, Quinn's going to do. So that would be uh, my uh, my name to look out for. What about you, Adam? Tricky one. I would. Uh, I. I don't know whether Danny Care fits in with the with the obvious. Um. Uh, but um, other than that, uh, I, I think that that amazing try that you mentioned earlier uh, against Montpellier, which I just thought was an absolutely superb uh, try. What I think was underestimated after Smith's run was the way that Murley cut inside to make the space um, from Archant to score. And I think he, I think he's an incredibly underrated player um, and a really exciting young, uh, young player too. So I, I think he's the man that Tigers uh, will watch out for and should be watching out for. 
quite similar to Potter actually in the way that he has an ability to sort of like wriggle into contact. He's stronger than you perhaps give him credit for as well. Chris, um, who's your tip to for us to secretly soil ourselves about? <laughs> well, I'd give <laughs> I'd actually I'd actually look at someone slightly off the um off the radar as well. And I'd go for a, a guy who I don't think was expecting to start as many games this season as he was uh, so he's looking to because he, he's he's looked a real talent to me in the Premiership, and that's Jack Kenningham. I think he's a a real talent to take. Is he is he still injured though at the moment? I well, Will thing is, they poor Will so Evans well again, with an open side. Went off they injured. so play so well with an open side. Evans is just coming back. I think the seven position is really interesting for Kring. I hope Rafael's playing because I think they'll need him up against either Evans or if they get Kenningham back. But yeah, yeah. Evans. Will Evans, we know very well indeed. We can't keep every single player. But like like Thacker, I think he's gone to a club that really suits him. And I, uh, a Bristol suit the way that Thacker plays the game. I think Evans, he suits the way Harlequins play the game. So good luck to him. Um, Elliot, what would you be picking? By the way, just sorry, just in case anyone's interested in what I thought about the, uh, uh, the Harlequins team, I think the key guys for them is their tight head rotation, Collier and Lowe. Out of nowhere, Harlequins front row is one of the best scrummaging units around and they don't get the credit for it. So we need to be able to take them on and uh, uh, whoever's playing with Genge, And Genge has a very good record against Collier to me. He the does last two or three games. He's done very nicely against him in the scrum. Yes, he has. That's very true. And therefore, it's going to be interesting to see how we go against them. Elliot, who are you? Um, want? We've given up just for Adam and, and Chris's thoughts. I think when we first had you on at the start of the season, we used to try and pick our team. Absolutely fucking pointless because Steve just ruins it and, and every time and picks something completely that we don't expect. And it always works far better than what we would do. So, Elliot, just. Tell me, what changes, if any, are you making? Who, who do you really want to see playing in this one? I think the usual suspects, to be fair. I, I would probably go with the strongest team that's available fitness-wise. If, if, if everyone's stood up and standing, I think with Irish in midweek, I'm not sure there's that much wiggle room for heavy rotation anyway. You'd probably have wanted Irish even a couple of weeks' time or, or, um, or the week just gone, to be honest just to allow you to have a bit of time for rest and rotation. But as it goes, if, if you're fit, if you're standing, I'd go for as, as close to the start, a strong 15 um, and 23 as you can uh, you can go for. So the likes of bringing the Marnie back, I'd probably have Ashton on the wing and Harry Potter start, Scotty in at 12, Moroni at 13. Maybe start Cole over Joe Hayes, because the amount of rugby Hayes has played recently. So I'd probably bring Coley back. Second row is an interesting one, but I'd probably go Wells and Green. And then Hanro, Tommy Turnover and Jasper at eight. Um, and hopefully bring Montoya back and, and just try and, like you say, just try and get the win. Agree. Agree entirely. Adam, what about you? The same? And do you want to put a prediction on it? Yeah, I, I would agree. Um, and I think prediction... Uh... I very rarely go for a Tigers loss this season. I think Quinns might just sneak it. I think a very high-scoring, entertaining game. Along the lines of the game, they played in Welford Road, actually, behind closed doors. When was that? It was the FA Cup final day, wasn't it? So May last year. I think it will be something like 35-27, maybe a little bit closer than that to Quinns. 
Fair enough. Okay. Chris, be the voice of optimism like you rarely are. <laughs> you know me well. You know me very well indeed, Michael. Uh, I'm going to have to go with Adam's thoughts. I Because I, I, I'm, I'm not negative. I, I, honestly, I don't think I am negative. I'm just nervous. I'm always nervous. <laughs> and I like, I think Adam will agree. I hope Adam will agree with this. That essentially... I like to just worry and then be pleasantly surprised rather than feasibly <laughs> optimistic sense, and then yeah. have soul and hopes destroyed. So um, I think this is one game where they could lose. Lost at Saracens, won at Exeter. They lost at Sale, whose drop in form has recently surprised me. They've not got great results recently, though. That was a fine, fine win at Bristol uh, in, the, in the Champions Cup. I think this might be tight. And I could see it one score game and I'll back Leicester just. Oh, we'll take that. Elliot? I tend to go a bit nearly negative on these sort of things. And um, like Chris, go a bit more negative and be a bit more surprised down the line. I, I reckon Quinn's by three. And I think a losing bonus point actually is a, is a fairly good result. But I do think we probably need to win. But yeah, I think Quinn's by three, but it'll be a... It'll, go, it'll come down to the last couple of minutes. I think the game will still be uh, not decided. It'll be Tigers by five. You have my assurance on that. And the only reason I'm saying that, because I did up until I rewatched some of the Harlequins game and I realised that Will Evans went off injured. Unfortunately, it looks like it was a leg injury again. I really hope for his sake he's back. Cause he was looking unbelievable in that first half. And so were Quinns. And it's no surprise that they struggled to get perhaps the control they needed without him on the pitch. And Kenningham's not there as well. I think there is a potential advantage for us to take in the pack there and potentially potentially get on top of them in the tight. So I'm going to go for a Tigers five point. Either way, it's going to be too close call. We've got two for, two against. Who knows what? We might speak to the Quinns boys later on who are going to confidently uh, predict, I'm sure, a five point uh, Harlequins win. Either way, support the boys if you can and get down there. Well, here endeth the Rolling Wall pod for this week. It's been lots of fun as always. Thanks a lot to Adam and Chris for coming on. They were great value. And thank you for everyone uh, who came and met us for a beer and continues to support us in the podcast. It really means a lot to us. Yeah, absolutely. Any... Um... Any and all support we get is really appreciated. Uh, so thank you very much. As always, though, thank you very much for listening and we'll see you next week. Stay safe, everybody.